No, this is literally you. You're driving. Oh, he's freaking over. He has to be dead. <laughs> why'd you why'd you have the volume off because when i i did watch it beforehand and there were f-bombs oh really i don't think yeah. i let you watch yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> All All the, the people have missed us you see you have to start the women out young you have to teach them to drive through buildings at a young age i was gonna age. say she's doing really i mean she's doing really well she's gonna be top notch <laughs> when she gets older her husband's rims have no chance <laughs> 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 Yo, we had a wild week and i got sick before we went away and then while we were away i have like i've been in a crazy headache cycle crazy headache cycle so you I, had terrible headaches every night we, during that every trip? night i slept about three hours each night of that trip and i've come home and i've slept about three hours every night since so i get cluster headaches and they are so painful they wake me up out of a dead sleep um after i like i'll fall asleep and then two hours later they wake me up out of a dead sleep so it has been wait my sister-in-law drove into a garage as a team my wife did it recently i mean <laughs> rob your wife has a has a crash story recently too wait you guys want to hear a crazy wife story oh no you guys want to <laughs> she never watches don't worry my my daughter um while we were away she stayed with my brother joey and got a really bad stomach ache. So she woke up in the middle of the night with a really bad stomach ache, and the pain was so bad she passed out and hit her head. Your so daughter? The, yeah, my daughter. While we were away, jo you didn't hear Joey tell me that's like he was staying at Joey's house. So, no, I didn't hear Joey say that. So, my wife, the past two days, has been setting doctor's appointments and stuff for her. So, they went to a gastrointestinal doctor, and they're like, okay, well, let's start off with just like cutting out dairy and cutting some stuff out. So oh tonight, boy. my wife makes. She's Italian. What if they make her cut out tomatoes? That would be well. If she has Crohn's disease. It could happen. My wife has Crohn's disease, oh. and she has to take like a lot of pills. And if it's hereditary, we're in trouble. But so my wife makes shepherd's pie for the first time tonight. But she makes the mashed potatoes with no no milk and vegan butter for my daughter. And when I was, did you when have I to tell go to you, McDonald's? I had to pretend to like it. It was. It was a rough dinner tonight. <laughs> My wife's a great cook, but she was well, definitely. Uh, I'll stand by that. The sauce she made for us. Yeah. She's a great was, cook. My wife. This was, she was severely uh, handicapped during this incident. So, uh, All right, man. It's been an exciting week. So uh, here's the deal. Rob and I went away with about eight guys to Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and we had, um, a really amazing time. So while we were there, we recorded two of the cut. Nick was invited, but Nick decided, oh, no, Nick had something personal going on at home, so he couldn't make it. Um, so while we were there, we recorded probably about five hours of conversation, maybe six. The first hour and 40 minutes is up on our locals, but it's behind a paywall. It's actually the second night, but the conversations are separate. It doesn't matter. Right. So we're, I have another three and a half hour video to go through and make sure I take any names out. So the first one was about two hours and I cut 20 minutes of like, if we mentioned somebody's name, we didn't, you know, we don't know who's going to see it. So if you guys want to check that conversation, it's about eight guys sitting around smoking cigars, drinking bourbon, and just discussing the Catholic faith. We don't get into any of the drama in the church. We talk, some of it's our, how did this one convert? How did you come into the church? Stuff like that. It was a, a really, really good prayer. conversation. The, um, the, the, you guys think I'm loud on a show like this, couple, couple glasses of bourbon. I'm very loud. And I'm also the one right next to the microphone. So my voice is pretty loud in those videos. By the way, were you aware that there's alcohol in bourbon cream? Because from the way you were drinking, and I don't know if you were aware of that. Oh, I was aware. <laughs> at what, at what, you, you, I poured you a full glass of ice and you poured a full glass and Todd's like, uh, Anthony, you know, there's alcohol in that, right? And you like, didn't say anything. You just poured more and started. 
such a fun time with you guys so what we're gonna do is we're not gonna bury the lead tonight we're going to discuss the topic at hand and then after the topic at hand we will tell you guys all about our weekend we do Uh, have one 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 thing to promote first though oh yes so enoch who was on the trip with us he has a new album coming out on november 1st and we have this little promo video to show everyone Save gimmick is a sidetrack. We sell like a spree because we don't see the price tag. Fight back, put that on the right track. Yeah, I'm on the right track. In the box, life hack. Saying this a white flag. Off the wall, Mike Jack. Has control for demons with the tight jab. So you see your white flag. Sadly, in a life, and that's a life flash. In between that, I'm a side crash. Christ be my life raft. Fly so high, bring my cut back. And my head's was so big that my cross be my ice pack. You in a state of grace, so you not. Mercy of God won't be mocked. Six feet down on the plot. A life of sin that puts you on the run. A life of sin that puts you on the run. Yeah, we now, love Enoch. I got a little inside information. So Enoch, it. who moved from San Diego to Kentucky, is getting a little bit more in touch with the Kentucky roots. So to do that, he wanted a little bit of banjo music, and I hear that Nick Cavazos is going to be on the album. Get out oh, of here, is it? Is that, that real? That's no, that's not real. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm like, wait, is that, a, is that a true story? <laughs> well, I was going right, to so, say, like, he should just move to bluegrass music, because, you know, it's infinitely superior. I mean, bluegrass <laughs> is taking off right now with, uh, what's his name? What's that guy? Uh, Oliver. Oh, Anthony, yeah, right? the... Uh, what's it called? Uh, Richmond, north of Richmond. Yeah, that's not strict that bluegrass. bluegrass. Like it's it's in it's a cousin. It's like it's kind of like the a new version of old country music, which I actually appreciate because like radio country is just hot trash. It's just like let me throw in some rap bars while I'm singing about my tractor, and you're just sitting there like, yeah. uh huh, okay. <laughs> pretty terrible so we've been off air for two weeks we have almost 100 people in the chat because we have a we have an important topic we're going to cover tonight so before we get into it i spent the past uh day and a half listening to other people's commentary i have to say he can copy them well no i'm thinking some people copied us well at least we haven't talked about it yet no but the things we've been saying on twitter and because the first day, nobody said anything like what I put up. And then today, I saw a bunch of people doing second videos on the topic and actually almost word for word saying some of the things that I was saying. Someone's now, coming not, after you. Um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll have that fight another day. <laughs> now, I did attempt to listen to Lofton, Pope's Plain. What do you call him, Nick? Oh, the thrice charitable, most prudent. Yes. Yeah. So, and this, I'm not trying to bash Lofton. I actually tried to give it a chance and listen. And the, it was difficult. It was difficult. Your, because, priest, your priest gave you a tough penance in your confession. So, listen, the thing is, there are some good things in what we're going to discuss is not even the new dubia that was submitted. I want to discuss the first dubia and the response. That's the main thing I want to get into because in classic, uh Francis fashion, you get very orthodox things mixed in with the subtle things. And those, and so when you listen to a guy like Lofton or um uh, even a lot of the people on Twitter that were arguing with me, telling me I'm crazy and I'm taking the Pope out of context, it's a it's a very difficult thing when they only go through the good things that are said and try to downplay the the problematic stuff. Well- and I, I think the most important part about the rewritten dubia is you should read the the responsa from the DDF in light of the fact that there's been no answer to the rewritten dubia. Yeah, but also you can see why they rewrote a new dubia because well, I know, the- <laughs> I know. But I mean- what I'm saying is like when when they ask in the original, you know, such and such and such. And then the DDF gives two sides in their answer. The fact that they could not just answer no is the real answer. Yeah. So we're and, not going to do. What we these all other know guys that did. Anthony is a bad, bad man. We, <laughs> I am. Yeah. I had one guy tell me I'm a bad Catholic because I criticized Francis. So look, I don't want to go through the whole document. Other guys have done that. I want to get to the 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 
the heart of the content, right? Like we're not going to sit here and give you the timeline and tell you all the little different things that happen. I mean, other guys did that. I really want to get to the heart of, of this issue, which is the same sex unions thing. So uh, I'm going to read Edward Penton's tweet and kind of go into what I responded to it. And then I want to hear some of Nick and what Rob, Rob and Nick think from it. So Pope Francis appears to open the door to same sex blessings in his response to the dubium number two. Oh, yeah, number two, saying that priests may use their discretion in giving such blessings so long as they don't imply a same-sex union is equivalent to homosexual heterosexual marriage. Um, okay, so B, it is not merely a, all right. So that's that's the main thing is everybody saying that he was so clear about what heterosexual marriage is. Yes, he was, but here's where it gets problematic. So. A, the church has a very clear conception of marriage, an exclusive, stable, and indissoluble union between man and woman, naturally open to the beginning of children. It calls this union marriage. Other forms of union only realize it in a partial and analogous way, amoris laetitia, so they cannot strictly be called marriage. So notice how, in order to convince everyone that this isn't some new teaching, Francis quotes himself right off the even, bat. Even their quote sucks. It does. Like, is Luther is not even Lutheran. I mean, let's just go like evangelical. Is evangelical communion, uh, communion in a partial and analogous way? No, way it's just more not so, communion. Way, but way more so, way more so than a same-sex union is a partial or analogous. Right, it's a mockery. It's like is a black mass a partial and analogous mass? That's no, more like right. That is a more appropriate. Uh, analogy B it is not mere a mere question of names but the reality that we call marriage has a unique essential constitution that demands an exclusive name not applicable to other realities it is undoubtedly much more than a mere ideal so that was in response to something they said so C for this reason the church avoids any kind of right or sacramental that could contradict this conviction and give the impression that something that is not marriage is recognized as marriage in dealing with people, however. So anything before, but is nonsense. And yes. however, is essentially, but, but in dealing with people, we must not lose the pastoral charity that must permeate all our decisions and attitudes. The defense of objective truth is not the only expression of this charity, which is also made up of kindness, patience, understanding, tenderness, and encouragement. Therefore, we cannot become judges who only deny, reject, and exclude. I have no problem with that. Well, hold on. Nick, out of all that list, are any of those virtues? Well, yeah, it's like those are going to be maybe different actions of the virtue of charity. But again, like where I don't like this is that he's on the one hand uh, kind of assuming that you can take truth in. I mean, you can take truth and separate it from charity, obviously. But the thing is that charity by nature is always going to be intertwined with truth. Like there is really no such thing as charity without truth and truth without charity. So, And when has the church ever merely been judges who deny, reject, and exclude. Never. It's a false setup. It, it, the, the, the whole thing is a false framing. He's framing the whole thing incorrectly. For instance, even in uh, a declaration of excommunication is done in order to bring that person back into the church. It's not meant to exclude them. It's mm -hmm. meant as a, as a charitable fraternal correction. To mm -hmm. bring them back in. To bring them back. So for this reason... Pastoral prudence must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or more persons, not a person, one or more persons. That's a couple. So for this reason, pastoral prudence must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by a couple. That's essentially what he's saying that do not transmit a mistaken conception of marriage. For when a blessing is requested, one is expressing a request for help from God, a plea for a better life, a trust in a father who can help us to live better. Oh, so then a man and his mistress can go up and get the relationship blessed then, right? So, look, he's saying as long as we don't confuse, there's no scenario where blessing a same-sex couple, it, it just doesn't work. 
On the other hand, although there are situations that from an objective point of view are not morally acceptable, pastoral charity itself demands that we do not simply treat as sinners other people whose guilt or responsibility may be due to their own fault or responsibility attenuated by various factors that influence subjective imputability. So now when I was listening to Lofton, he's going, now this is somewhere I wish Francis would have been a little clearer. No, you're missing the point. It's intentionally unclear. And to pretend otherwise is absurd. So he kept bringing up that you have to add this to the 2021 statement from the CDF or DDF that the church cannot bless sin. Mm -hmm. And this is part of Francis's magisterium. Cool. Except the author of that document was fired immediately. Exactly. Fired immediately. And a photo op was taken with James Martin right afterward. And James and, Martin released a letter saying how Francis was very upset at the way that was worded. And why, in this case, do we have to look to a previous document to, to read in light of, but when it comes to the death penalty, we, we need to not look at 2,000 years of previous documents to come to the right conclusion for the, Besides the fact that these cardinals submitted a dubia for clarity— Mm -hmm. And in return, received more confusion than there was before it. I'm telling you what's going on here. Francis is laying out, you're not going to get a pronouncement on same-sex unions at the synod. He's, mm -hmm. he's giving it to you now. This is what's happening. Decisions which in certain circumstances can form part of a pastoral prudence should not necessarily become a norm. That is to say, it is not appropriate for a diocese, an Episcopal conference, or any other ecclesial structure to constantly and officially authorize procedures or rights for all kinds of matters, since everything what is part of a practical discernment in particular circumstances cannot be elevated to the level of a rule. So now Lofton took that and said, that's a shot at the German bishops. No, it's not. Watch. Because this would lead to an intolerable casuistry, another reference to Amoris Letizia referencing himself. Canon law should not and cannot cover everything, nor should the Episcopal conferences claim to do so with their various documents and protocols, because the life of the church runs through many channels in addition to the normative ones. So here's what's going on. The New Ways Ministries out there, the James Martins out there, all of those uh, ministries that, you know, the, the pride masses, this is saying every one of those priests now are allowed to do that without approval from their superiors. No bishops conference can condemn it. He's yep. giving, this is in the negative. This is telling bishops conferences. You cannot, not, not even a bishop conference, a diocese, a diocese, can, a bishop, a bishop not cannot tell his priests that not this priest, this is, Samorum Pontificum, where, for, where Benedict gives priests the right to say the traditional mass, this is the Samorum Pontificum of the, the, the same-sex priests out there and, and their ministries. They now have the ability to do this. It is the, the equivalent of don't ask, don't tell for the mm -hmm. church. What are you thinking, Nick? I think two things. So one, I mentioned this yesterday morning on the meeting of Catholic morning show. When we were talking about this. You don't get all of this mentality without um, a cause, right? And I'll get into where that cause comes in a second, but to be brief, more or less, this is what I see. On the one hand, we see basically what I've been predicting that Pope Francis is not going to use the term homosexual marriages, same sex marriages. He's going to avoid that, right? But he's going to go around about it and use other terms, this other conception of a blessing. Where does this idea of blessing something that is just like imperfect, right? He uses that kind of that language. Where does that come from? When you go back to Vatican II's discussion on interreligious marriages, right? Interreligious marriage. Sometimes they're called mixed marriages. I want to emphasize interreligious is not, it's not talking about racial stuff. Yeah. Interreligious marriages. Um, when you go back to that discussion, you see a dramatic, a dr dynastic. Dramastic. That's a nice word. I dramastic. like it. Dramastic. Dramatic. <laughs> dramatic. But by the way, we ran into someone that loved hoopla this weekend. I know. Oh, we have to tell that story. We'll we tell that tell story us, after this. We have a lot of stories to tell you guys about the weekend. That will be in uh, locals. Yeah. You see a you see a dramatic shift from the 1917 Code of Canon Law to the 1983 Code of Canon Law through Vatican II. You see in 
before the council, on the one hand, the priests are commanded, according to the 1917 Code of Canon Law, to, quote, terrorize the faithful into not going into interreligious marriages, right? That is one of the six commandments of the church, right, that you're supposed to marry. So before the council, they're told to terrorize them. Yeah, yeah. And when I yeah, say to make sure there's no intermixed, yeah. religious, religiously intermixed marriages. Exactly. And if and on the rare occasion that it did take place, it was extremely rare, and they had to go through a ton of forms. So one, the priest had to like actively basically discourage it all throughout what we now call pre like like pre-cana and stuff like that. And then the non-Catholic would have to sign an oath saying that they would raise their child Catholic, and the Catholic spouse would have to actively strive to convert the non-Catholic to the Catholic religion, right? So there was all these parameters that were set up uh, to protect the children and to try to, to win the soul of the unbeliever. Vatican II comes along, you see a lot of discussion. You can find this in like Roberto de Matei's book, uh, Ut Unum Sid is another good book on this, where you see a dramatic shift to where now the 83 code has this mentality and this language. Well, basically, interreligious marriages, they're not God's ideal. They're not God's ideal because it's ideally two faithful Catholics getting married together. But on the other hand, we can say that there is some good in this because you do see that these people love each other. And especially if it's in the context of a Catholic and say a Protestant, one of the separated brethren, maybe it does in a mysterious way better show the whole oneness and the communion of faith that is the church. So you see this slippery slope start where it's just like, it's not perfect, but can we at least bless the goodness in it, right? They love their kids. They love each other, et cetera. That mentality and those documents are cited in Amoris Laetitia when it's talking in the famous paragraph eight, when it's talking about divorced and civil remarriages, right? It's basically the same, same mentality that Pope Francis picked up, which is though this situation with the divorce and remarried is not God's ideal, can at least we bless the goodness in it? Because again, they love their children. They seem to love each other. You know, can't we at least say it's not perfect, but it's better than it could be. And I called it two years ago. I said, this will be the same argument that they will use for homosexual unions. They're not going to call it marriage, but they will say, look, it's not God's perfect ideal. Can't we though at least bless two people who seem to love each other, which is not love, but two people that seem to love each other and love their children. So that's the first thing. So you don't get any of this without that cause. Second thing is, uh, and this is where I'll finish, in that last paragraph, when it talks with your comments, Anthony, about uh, like how I guess the conservatives are wanting to say, well, look, he is taking a shot at the German bishops. I agree with you. I don't. I think that one could try to read that into that, but I don't think that's what he's saying. If you study everything Pope Francis has said on the topic of synodality, even going back into the very beginning of his papacy, what is synodality? It is taking the hierarchical structures of the church and leveling it to just one level to where everybody is walking on the same path. It's a very communist mentality of everyone's just on the same path on the same level. And so therefore, in his mind, he's saying, well, you don't need to go to a superior, this medieval thing of a superior. I must go to the king and ask permission to get this. I must go to the, the Christian monarch and get this permission. What he's saying is it's like, you priest, you local pastor, you know your situation better than anybody. So maybe you need to be the one who needs to discern, wink, wink, and see if this is going to be something that you can do. So that's exactly what he's doing. He's leveling it. And it's continuing this mentality. And you don't get synodality without collegiality from Vatican II as well. That's another whole lecture, but that's just my point with those two products. So, so, okay. Lofton said slanderers should apologize for objecting to law, uh, Amoris Laetitia, right? Then today, actually today, the Vatican response to the dubious submitted by the Czech Cardinal Duca on divorce and remarried communion that Francis says mm -hmm. divorce and remarried Catholics receiving communion is part of the ordinary magisterium now. Yeah. BS. <laughs> it's absolutely complete. Like you have to really think about what's going on here. So the, so the people who um, tried to wiggle around that one, you're seeing the same thing happen over and over. Now I'm not, I'm not making any um, judgments on Francis at all. I'm just telling you guys, like you have to be crazy to think this isn't what they're setting up right now. This is. Now, did you, now, did you actually read the the response? I have it up here on screen. Bring it up. Read it. So, 
Um, this is kind of the part that really matters as far as I can see. Um, who should be the evaluator of the situation um, going up to communion, basically? Given the couples in question, any confess- confessor, parish priest, vicar, Episcopal vicar, or penitentiary? Um, and basically, right here, it's the important part starts here. It is each person individually who is called to put himself before God and expose his conscience to him with both his possibilities and limits. This conscience, accompanied by a priest and enlightened by the guidelines of the church, is called to be formed to evaluate and give su- submit sufficient judgment to discern the possibility of accessing the sacraments. In other words, the DDF is saying that it, that a priest really, it's not up to the priest to deny communion, it's up to that person to discern the possibility of accessing communion so, so he's telling priests they can't deny communion to people anymore based on if they're in a second marriage well he said that he said that he's never denied anybody communion we know what he has done but but this is well well th- read that in light of f uh 2f from the responsa um there are situations that from an objective objective point of view are not morally acceptable Charity de- demands that we do not simply treat others or simply treat as sinners other people whose guilt or responsibility may be due to their own fault or attenuate. So he, that there can also be used to prevent a priest from denying communion because we're not supposed to treat others as sinners. It, it, it's this is crazy. And, th- mm-hmm. and this is this is the pregame to the synod. This yeah, is not. Beginning. This is not even the synod. Like this, this is, is the, the pre-game. This is the tailgate party for the football game. Let us all give thanks to the imperial interpreter patriarchal <laughs> to tell us about the magisterium of the one and only ecumenical council of Vatican. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Pope Spleeners. They are being uncharitable because they are reading into Francis what they want it to say and not what it actually says. It is not look when you have every major news outlet coming out and saying Francis softens his stance on giving blessings to same sex unions, they're not just pulling the Pope out of context. And even if they were, wouldn't the Pope have the responsibility to correct that? Exactly. Why, why has the Pope not come out and corrected this? And here's the thing. It's like, think about how insane this is. They're saying, Oh, medias are completely taking the Pope out of context. And then, of course, they'll say, you know, right-wing podcast hosts are taking the Pope out of context. Oh, great. So it's nice to know that all media and pretty much all the really solid Orthodox bishops that you liked a decade ago are now wrong. But this YouTube channel, this is where you find the truth. Thanks for showing up, y'all. By the way, my Patreon's in the in, in the bottom. <laughs> show, yeah. Show up, Father Dwight Longnecker says Anglican same-sex blessings were not to be confused with weddings, but they took place in church with flowers, rings, music, fancy clothes, and a splashy reception afterwards. Tell me how the Catholic experience will be different. Because here's the thing. And that that is a former Anglican priest, correct? Who left the Anglican communion to come here because he he wanted to make sure he didn't end up there. So what, what what you're going to have is what happens in the Anglican church. Like you, you see that um, Calvin Robinson is in his own um, group, right? Mm-hmm. So within Anglicanism, you have conservative sectors. Yeah. Like you, you do have conservative sectors. That's what Francis wants for us. He wants you to be, Oh, you like your, your conservative Go ahead, Go to the conservative parish. Go to conservative synod. <clears throat> Catholicism is no longer a religion that has dogma. It is now just, well, the, actually, the dogma is there. Why the do you say there. that? Did you read 4C? No, bring it up. Uh, let me, let me bring it up here. It's okay. Is 4C in the uh, responsa? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This, I, this, was this the one on, uh, Priest, oh, the one on priesthood. This one, this is I laughed at so hard and in, in, in sadness, especially this last one. Yeah, yeah, the last sentence. The last sentence. So this oh. is this is specifically talking about JP 2s uh, definitive statement that women cannot be ordained. 
let us recognize that a clear and authoritative doctrine about the exact nature of a definitive statement has not yet been exhaustively developed. It is not a dogmatic definition, and yet it must be adhered to by all. No one can publicly contradict it, and yet it can be the subject of study, as is the case with the validity of ordinations of the Anglican. They're saying that one, <laughs> that it's not a definitive statement that women cannot be ordained, and they even seem to be hinting at that maybe Anglicans really have priests. So, the, so yeah. there, so there are there are valid Anglican orders. That's saying it, uh, it's the definitive statement isn't doctrine it's not dogma maybe they are valid yeah a definitive statement meaning that you absolutely have to hold it and but yet it's still open to investigation no it's not like that that's the thing the, <laughs> the, the thing about the thing about dogma is that dogma is you have to think about dogma is like the peak of the mountain if you will so you start off in seed form with any teaching of christ right this is how development of doctrine works you start off with a very small seed right maybe an implicit truth Right. So mm -hmm. like for instance, the hypostatic union, right? You don't see that Thomistic clarity or even the clarity that the Council of Nicaea put on uh, that doctrine in the scripture, right? You just don't see that. But you do see the seeds of it in there. Absolutely. Son of man, son of God. And then you work up, and you see all the, the, the multitude of many other verses. But then you work up until you finally get this, you know, crystalline, perfect diamond, if you will, or the peak of the mountain, which is the hypostatic union with all of its explanations, canons, decrees, etc. Well, when it comes to issues like this, this is the same thing. Once it reaches the level of a dogma, there's great theologians, right? We talk about, uh, at least over on 1 Peter 5, uh, Dr. John Joy, right? He, he published a great work on the uh, ordinary universal magisterium, which he very much so argues that this is a definitive dogmatic statement. He may not have come out and used the term like, you know, hey guys, I'm using, I'm making this a dogma, but he uses all the classic dogmatic language. I define yeah. X, right? This is yeah. a definitive thing to be held. That's that's dogmatic. So why would you then turn around, put a screw, put put a doubt, like Satan in the garden, putting a doubt in Eve's mind, right? Putting a doubt in our minds, and then on top of that, talk about what Leo the Thirteenth has already, you know, opened and closed with <laughs> Anglican orders, right? That they're invalid. They're completely invalid. But this is this is the thing, my guys. Like at the end of the at the end of the day, all of this comes down to the fact, like I've like I've said for a while now, this is no longer, in many ways, the Catholic Church. You're going to see people who are going to be, you know, occupying seats of position in the Catholic Church. But at the end of the day, this is going to be the modernist complete takeover. So it's not like these guys. They just all got Fs on their dogmatic classes, and then just somehow poof, they got appointed. No, right? this is intentional. They are infiltrating, and, and it's a, and it's a revolution. So, yeah. um, Katnine Mouse, I converted in part because the Catholic Church has clearly defined beliefs grounded in Scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. Now they're trying to blow it all up. I, I've I've mentioned on the show before how so much of like my final the final piece that set into place, like the final puzzle piece that came in, was seeing how the church stood tall on contraception when every other christian communion just fell like dominoes every single one of them fell like dominoes and seeing that the church it, it it was a divine intervention in my eyes it was just god did not because you knew all of them wanted to change it but the pope put his foot down and said absolutely not we're not going to do this <clears throat> now in practice nobody followed it so what, what I see Francis doing here is playing the, look, we're not going to change anything on paper, on do and dogma and doctrine. Look, you, 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 you traditionalists and you rigid crazies, you guys get to hold that the church has not changed anything. But in practice, it's going to be a free-for-all. Mm -hmm. It's wild. So, Nick, is, is what you were saying with this not being an act of, of the church, what got me thinking uh about this act is like so the the cardinal submitted the dubia they got a response that was made cloudy and clouded things even more than they were and then resubmitted dubia mm -hmm. with yes or no and like i was thinking is like what it, what what is burke what is Sarah? what is them what like what is what's their goal here mm -hmm. and it got me thinking like the the responses were were 
predictably bad where you can read whatever you want into them. So they give them the yes or no questions where there's really three options. Francis can either answer yes to all of them or to some of them. And now the, the way those questions are worded, like a yes would be, def- it would be heresy. Like no doubt yeah, it would be they're, clear. They're heresy. trying to get Francis to either deny they're trying to get him to to uh, uh, answer in the affirmative anathematized positions. Yes. Previously anathematized positions, right? Or or he answers no and dashes the synod. every goal of the synod. But like, why would it? It seems like they're trying to provoke potential yeses, and the question is why. And yeah. I, th- if if they get him to literally assent to heresy i mean i i think there's some cardinals these five and probably other others that are looking for a reason to start some sort of canonical process i don't know what it would be i don't know if anyone yeah. knows what it would be i mean yeah. the, the 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 guidance from the saints is all over the place as to what it could look like right yeah but i think what i think they just they want to nail him on something where they can say this is what we need to actually start to take real action, whatever that ends up being. Yeah. So it, it, Davi's asking, how do we square this with papal infallibility? So this was a lot of our conversation this weekend. Uh, uh, you know, not the recorded stuff, but behind the scenes is what we were talking about. Now, this is why, like, I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm being dead honest. I don't know. And I'll, it's why I don't judge people who say Francis is an antipope, because it kind of solves a lot of, problems right i mean if he is one but i don't know how that process works how does that work is it that a future pope has to declare and i don't know i i don't know and i don't think any of us have the ability to to answer that properly i don't know i just know that we do have the promise of christ that the gates of hell will not prevail i don't know i, I could answer that uh the question on infallibility um yeah so um, I would say that infallibility, uh, we have to remember, is actually way more limited than it is believed. So when we speak of papal infallibility, we're talking about what's called the extraordinary magisterium. So it's whenever the pope by himself in his office or the pope in union with all the bishops of the world in the context of ecumenical council say, we believe definitively thus – or, you know, we anathematize definitively thus, et cetera, right? So you can think of as examples, Canon's decrees of the Council of Trent, Canon's decrees of Vatican I, uh, you know, obviously the Immaculate Conception, the uh, Assumption of Our Lady, et cetera. Those are going to be statements of in- infallibility. And infallibility in the context of just the Pope, it's going to be the Pope solemnly in his own role commenting on faith and morals, right? So we believe that when he's doing that in that type of solemn act, that he is going to be infallible. Now, that does not mean, and see, this is what I found out, you know, as a, a Catholic coming into all of this, is that apparently back in the day, right, Catholic answers, other groups, they would often say, especially to Protestants, what this doesn't mean, and they're correct on this, what this doesn't mean is that the Pope is correct in everything that he says, right? There are levels of magisterium below that, many of which are going to be classified according to theologians as Mm non-definitive everything that we're seeing in these contexts easily falls under non-definitive when the response of that dubia to the czech bishops that you you pulled up rob whenever that comment said that it is part of the ordinary magisterium i said that's bs and it is bs because the ordinary magisterium is what has been taught by the popes and the bishops for all time? Yes. And this is clearly oh, something maybe maybe the wording was actually authentic magisterium. I don't he, think he said ordinary. It, I think no, in the no in in the in the the response to the the Cardinal Duca letter, it said ordinary magisterium. Even let's say let's say he did say authentic, just to play advocate. What if he was to say authentic? Even then, it wouldn't work. You know why it wouldn't work? Because, and I recommend everyone, if they if they just want to completely nerd out and just see a full treatment on this, this is a good place to start, right? Soccer Theology Summa on the Church of Christ. One of the things for a magisterial document to be truly a magisterial document is that it's living, authentic, ordinary, and key word that you'll find in the old manuals, traditional. When you look up what that means, the traditional magisterium is that the Pope 
does not have the right, especially according to Vatican I, to introduce into the deposit of faith some novelty that is foreign to the body of Christ and to its deposit. And so therefore, an idea like this is completely novel. This type of moral theology is completely not just novel, but egregious. And so that's how you would have to go about solving this is it is somewhat complex, but it is a rigorous system that has been worked out for the good. Um, And I think moving forward with that, you know, you also have to realize that um, even what you brought up, Anthony, when it comes to like the church shall not pass away, right? Or the the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That is the doctrine of uh, indefectibility, which a lot of Catholics think means impeccability, that the church will never have a problem in it or something to that effect. You do even see that in some of the pre-Vatican to ultramontine language. But all the indefectibility means, and it's not even a dogma, by the way, it's actually a, it's actually a, a certain proposition. But all that that means is that Christ will never abandon his church. There will always be a pope. And that pope will never teach something in the definitive, extraordinary magisterial context that is heresy. And there will always be sacraments. And that the church will endure to the end of time, even if it be small. That's all we know. So it's like, if like St. Athanasius, the number of true Catholics is reduced to a small handful, but yet they have the sacraments and there is a pope. Well then, yeah, that is the church. Yeah. And even um, the gates of hell prevailing, I've heard it said that the church will never, uh, uh, teach officially heresy like i don't think the church is officially teaching heresy i don't think we've reached that point i think you have the but you you can see what 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 is going on right you see this synod was set up by all the all the men that have been elevated over the last decade were put in place because they were the men that were going to go along with this it's um even the the new ddf prefect he's the one that wrote all of these responses to these things i mean he is he is a wordsmith this man he's a wordsmith he's like no pre-vatican II response if you go back to the pre-vatican II responses you're just going to get very precise language they'll ask a a paragraph question response yes you can tell he's just look he's thinking himself where in here can i put something about kissing (laughs) (laughs) i just i just really think that uh the time for for actual penance is really coming. Like, I think we need to do something with anybody who really watches our channel together. Um, that's a good oh, question, Davi. Um, I, this is for Nick more than anything. Well, yeah, no, Nick, just, Nick just bailed on us. So I, <laughs> um, I, I think we should do something as a channel, uh, some extra penance, you know? I mean, Our Lady was adamant at um, Fatima. Penance, penance, penance is all you heard. The, the Advent fast is coming up three, yeah. four weeks from now. Three, four weeks from now. We're going to do St. Michael's, uh, oh, St. Martin's Lent. That, that, that's what it is. November 12th. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, the Advent one. So, suggestions on understanding infallibility. I would recommend uh, two sources. One is probably going to be way more, um, I would say, um, I would say easier to understand, especially if you're really diving into this. So, well, actually, three. I'll give you three. One is going to be Dr. John Joy's book, right? Understanding. <laughs> Yeah, there's some truth to that. Understanding the uh, the magisterium, right? So uh, go on to um, one Peter five and look up Dr. John Join. You'll see advertisements for his book. I think you can link it into Amazon or something like that. We have the links there, one Peter five. Um, so that's the first one. Second one is going to be the book uh, Church or Pope. You can find that over on Angelus Press, and it's kind of a full treatment of the magisterium that uh, really, really helps. Yeah, Dr. John Joy, exactly. Uh, so Church or Magisterium, Dr. John Joy's book. And then third, if you're <clears throat> really wanting to go into like the absolute big depth, uh, the Sacra Theologiae Summa, it's a pre-Vatican II manual on the Church of Christ. It has a whole section in here on papal infallibility and the theological weights of um you know uh roman congregations and stuff like that that's if you really want to nerd out but i'd recommend those first two books as a start listen one of, one of the other things we talked about this weekend was how ha- um because i put up a poll recently and i said who brought more people to tradition was it archbishop lefebvre or pope francis how would you answer that nick that's a really good question. I actually like that. This is th- your polls are the only reason that uh, I sometimes want to get on Twitter. Well, today I asked two, two. All right, so today I put two polls up. Well, the first one was is Francis Catholic, and the 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 both stats polls were, were that, huh? Th- that was both polls. You just changed they were the different. answers. They were different, slightly differently worded. Okay, so the first poll was is Francis Catholic, and 
more people answered yes than no. The second poll was, does Francis believe the Catholic faith? Because any baptized uh, person true, is a Catholic. Yeah, yeah. So when I asked, does Francis believe the Catholic faith? The poll switched the other way completely. Now, I wasn't asking it because I was implying anything. I'm curious to know what the average person who follows me thinks. Because, I mean, we are in a time that is so unbelievably confusing that when I was seeing people really like argue with me, I wish I would have brought up some of the people arguing against the things I was saying, because so much of it is just a denial of reality. In my opinion, it's just people actually claiming they know better than what, like they're putting their own interpretation on it. And I'm just trying to, I'm taking, I'm putting my own interpretation on it. Of course. Of course. I'm, so look, when Lofton reads it, he's reading all the positive, right? He's going, look at all these good things. A marriage is the indissoluble union between a, a man and a woman. And he's bringing up. Yeah, all but the when you things. have to read every third word to do that and like make a cipher out of it, then that's just BS. I, but it's the whole point is I, I think that's part of it, right? It, it's yes. He's going to say a bunch of good things because it's a, it's a, a, a game. The whole thing's a game. So by saying all those good things, now he can throw some ambiguity in, and we know how ambiguity works in the post-concilia era. Right. Era. Oh, it's why they will never answer the yes or no questions. Right. They will never answer those yes or no questions. Which I think gives you the real answers to the original dubia. Well, silence in itself is an answer, Sil right? So, right, so, when our, so when so when they ask our Lord, are you um are you the Messiah? And he or when he when he's standing before the Sanhedrin in silence, that's the Lord speaking, mm -hmm. right? That's a that's a that's a strange one to meditate on. When the Lord is silent before the Sanhedrin and they spit in his face, that's that's the that's God speaking. You know, it's the word of God at that moment. So, it, what Francis is doing right now by not answering is telling you that he can't answer them. He can't yeah. give you a yes or no. He can't because his true intentions are the interpretation we're giving it. Yeah, I think what you could do is, I mean, here, here's a question I had posed to me once on a, on a show I did maybe seven, eight months ago. I was talking with uh, uh, Miss Angela and our good friend, Angela Erickson, and we were talking about, is Joe Biden a Catholic and should he be excommunicated? If we were to just ask the question, is Joe Biden a Catholic? Probably 99% of you guys in the chat would say, no, he is not a Catholic, right? Especially we all cringe when we see, uh, especially the media say, you know, the second Catholic president of the United States, right? We're all just kind of cringe and we have to explain it away to our non-Catholic family members. And we'd say that because he clearly openly denies elements of the Catholic faith. What's harder with Pope Francis is that when we ask that same question, is Pope Francis Catholic? I would actually push back a little bit and just, or maybe just ask for, for some clarification from you guys, but it's like this. Right. Um, so just because you're baptized doesn't mean that you're Catholic. It's actually three things that's required according to Pope Pius XII. So you have to be, you know, baptized. That's actually, that's absolutely what's required. So baptism, right, gives you that indelible mark. Um, but it's also, right, it's participation in all, right, the same sacraments, holding to the same faith, and under the same heads of authority, right? And when it says under the same head, that's not meaning ob obey every jot and tittle. That just means that you're underneath their their spiritual headship, etc. Um, so that's the threefold thing of what makes a Catholic a Catholic. Can we really say that what is being put out right now is the same faith as you would have had being put out by the Roman congregations under Pope St. Pius X? And those guys were absolutely heretic hunting every single person yeah. that they could possibly find. It's not the same thing. And to answer your poll, Anthony, on at least uh, who brought more people to tradition, I would still say Archbishop Fleb only in the long-term effects just because, to be honest, Pope Francis will be a flash in the pan in the sense that yeah. in the, the long-term of church history, we will look back and we will say, this guy was absolutely crazy. But it's also like this. Who remembers these names more, St. Athanasius or Honorius? You have to be a really deep theology nerd to be like, oh, Honorius. Yeah, Honorius is, yeah. yeah. But we'll, we all know who Athanasius is. Archbishop <laughs> Lefebvre is St. Athanasius 2.0. And so the long term. Here's why. The big difference between Lefebvre and Francis is one will be canonized because he's an saint, and one will be canonized because he's a pope after Vatican II. <laughs> That's a good point. But <laughs> I, the reason I really say it is because when I listen to um, Michael Matt, 
and he talks about those early days of tradition and it's four people in a basement with a rogue priest going down there and saying mass in a basement and there there was no momentum at all and francis i I mean to me the the traditional movement blows up at two points one mccarrick when that happened and everybody starts listening to taylor marshall you get a huge bump and so i guess samorum would be the first small bump then mccarrick with taylor telling everybody at the lat mass is the next bump and then 2020 sure yeah, yeah 2020 parishes explode because the novus Ordo was shut down and a lot of traditional priests were giving the sacraments and it, and it once people were exposed to tradition it really let their hearts set their hearts on fire i mean i i talked to so many people that 2020 was a catalyst for them mm-hmm. uh we hung out with victor uh from return of the king this weekend he came okay. up to mm-hmm. he came up to P- uh, pennsylvania and his story is 2020 everything changed for him mm-hmm. yeah no that's those are fair point Think of it this, though. Archbishop Lefebvre, you can think of as that initial cause, and everything we're experiencing is the effect. So just think about how crazy this is. You have w- essentially one bishop, right? There's Bishop de Castromar, too, but it's essentially one bishop, right? Uh, wait, wait, I got to stop you for one sec. Uh-huh. Because Nancy Charles just came into the church on Friday, last Friday. She, she oh, is wow. Joshua Charles' sister. Joshua oh, Charles' sister. Yeah, I remember that. Congratulations. Um, we were all we were praying for her all weekend on this yeah. trip. Father Nick's offered mass for her. We were offering mass for her every day. Um, we're gonna get Nancy on because Nancy has a crazy story from where she came from to where she is now, and it's truly, a le- truly, a, truly a miracle, a legit miracle, like a miraculous conversion. And well, nice. I'm really. I Leo. saw. Her. Was she well, coming into the church through like the fraternity? I think or something. I like think that? so. And. Yeah. Look, Rob has a policy that we're not allowed to have women on the show. I am fighting him for this one. Rob, I'm putting my foot down. We're having Nancy on. I know you're a misogynist and you can't stand women, but this is, I'm putting my foot down on this one. I'm so excited to talk to Nancy. I can't believe Nancy likes our show. It's my favorite thing about her. (laughs) (laughs) You guys really helped me on my walk with this. That's crazy to me that people ever say things like that. No, Nancy, yeah, you're a it doll. Is. It was very nice to talk to you the other day. But Nick, I cut you off. What, what were you saying? Oh, it's good. No, that's that's awesome, Nancy. I'm glad you're jumping into the into the faith, even in a crazy time like this. I would I would say think of it this way: like Archbishop Lefebvre, he's one bishop, right? Who he's not trying to preserve the TLM because he's just like some sad sack who can't get with the times or something. Like he sees the absolute urgent need for priests. He is like a truly a saint after the heart of Saint Jean Vianney and our Lord when he recognizes that. A priest is a like good priest is a great blessing and love of God over you and in your parish, right? And that's something we gotta like think of just think about how insane this is like God saves us through those men, through those men, yeah. through their actions. And God also, right, chastises us through those men, right? Whenever they're very, very bad, right? According to St. John Hughes. But Archbishop Lefebvre, he starts this, and a lot of us, right from the examples that you gave, right, with the Mayor Carrick stuff and then the 2020, a lot of that is almost like us catching up. So it's whenever it starts to be fully mainstream. There's already been over like 1.2 million people in the SSPX living their normal Catholic lives for 60 years. And it's so funny because like all of us were like freaking out. And then you go to like the SSPX parish and they're just like, yeah, man, like, look, I've gone through like 50 of these things. But Nick, you came in late. Well, like when I tell you, you don't know what, you don't know what the, what what we thought of the sspx oh no for sure seven eight years ago for sure we were told they're schismatic they're schismatic and it it really took um now scott hahn is schismatic and all the good bishops who told us not to go to the ssp yeah they're awesome it's it's crazy how the how the how even the conversation has changed so much in the past few years Uh, uh it's one of those things where it was like FSSP good, SSPX bad. You would have priests from priests that I love their homilies that I would listen to on Census Fidelium, like really going at people for getting married at the SSPX saying your marriage is invalid. You can't do this, like really going after them. So mm-hmm. it's been it's been a really but and I, the strangest thing is that Francis actually gave them faculties for marriage. Francis get it that, that's why I'm saying what, what Francis wants is very similar to the Anglican communion. He wants 
look, you can have your little conservative. It's going to just be split. It's going to be split. You're going to see not one schism. You're going to see 50 schisms. Yeah, think about how this will hit the practical, like the practical of the diocesan level. You'll see certain parishes, which are just going to be out and open, right? Especially after the synod takes place and all this stuff gets more formalized, if you will. You'll see rainbow flags here, there, and everywhere on all these different parishes. And you're going to have people who don't even know where to go to confession anymore. Yeah. Because there's going to be confusion everywhere. Diocese versus diocese. Yeah, Joseph, I kind of... (laughs) Me and Enoch talk about... Ever. Me and Enoch talk this about this, man. It's like Enoch's like, I want a Francis the second. Look at what he's done for the he's lit a lot of our hearts on fire, man. It's funny how God works like that. Mm-hmm. It's funny how God works like that. He will, I mean, I've had several cases in my life where I, my faith was starting to wean, and God sends a little tragedy into your life, and all of a sudden you're back on fire for God, man. And yep. that's what Francis is. He's a bit of a scare and a tragedy, and it's scaring everybody. And everybody's nervous about what's going on in the church. And I honestly, I'm very hopeful. I am too. Like I'm telling people not to despair. There, there's definitely been temptations to despair in my my walk as a Catholic. But it's just like when you read, especially you guys. You guys are good at talking about this. When you read that Old Testament, and you're just looking at all the absolute insanities going on with the children of Israel, and God constantly having to chastise them, but yet God also being ever faithful to them and leading yeah. them through their absolutely insane idolatry and fornication and all kinds of stuff like that. God is faithful. He's going to lead us through. Yeah, listen, I mean, you're talking about Joshua Charles comes in under Francis. Nancy Charles comes in under Francis. I saw several of my siblings come to the faith under Francis. I'm telling you guys, don't despair. This is an exciting time to be Catholic. My wife witnessing. I came back. You came back. Yeah. Well, I came back under Benedict, but we're witnessing an awakening of God's children right now. And it look, we try not to do these shows too often because we don't always want to focus on the negative. Uh And oh my gosh. Oh, Nancy? Well, I don't know if it's going to Nancy or it's a <laughs> bribe to get her on. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, so, um, yeah, I just I think we try not to do these shows too often because we don't want people to despair. We want people to be excited to be Catholic. It, I mean, it, this is. It, and yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I think we really need to make a point of that. Like the granted the weekend trip was before this latest dubious stuff, but like. We went and hung out with with nine guys at daily mass, and like we like you. I mean, yeah, we talked about Francis a little, but most of our conversation was just about being Catholic guys, and it was yeah. fun. What's crazy is okay, so not just that. I got we got to tell you guys this story. Me and Rob. Okay, so Rob's never been to New York City. Nope. So we come, um, we come, we drive back to New York City, and we got a couple hours to kill between taking Rob to the airport. Me and Rob, so I'm like, oh, let me take you to Holy Innocence, Rob. That's you know, it's my favorite parish. Let me take you to Holy Innocence. We go to Holy Innocence, and as soon as we walk in, a woman comes up to us. It comes up to me at first, and she goes, "Anthony," and I'm like, "Hi," you know, I didn't know who it was. She's like, "I heard, I heard that." I'm like, "Really, another one of his relatives?" <laughs> <laughs> so, um. She goes, I cannot tell you how much you you guys mean to me. I go, Rob's here, too. So Rob comes out, and she's like, you guys don't understand. I'm about to cry right now. I'm so excited to meet you guys. I love you guys. So we know her from the chat. Her, uh, her name's usually Donna Lisa. Donna so if you guys Lisa. ever see Donna Lisa in the chat, say hello to her. Um, I met We met her and her husband just randomly. So she's she lives on Long Island, and she asked in the chat a couple weeks ago. She said, where can I find a Latin mass on Long Island? And I told her to go to St. Matthew's. So she just went to her first Latin mass at St. Matthew's a couple of weeks ago. So you see things like this, like God's stirring she, She's begun hearts. veiling because of it? And yeah, she started veiling. Like she, and little things like just seeing how uh, – it's not all doom and gloom and like you could listen to our show and everything be a little silly and goofy and stuff. It like, I was, I was very touched by the things she was saying to us. It was really, it was, it was amazing. So to, to have that happen, but it was funny because she's from Long Island. She just happened to be visiting the city. She was going to see uh, her son or her daughter and just stopped in Holy Innocence because I had mentioned it so many times and she stops in there and happens to see me while she's there. And she's, it, she must have felt like she was like 
bugging out or something. It was just such a random thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, be- but, the yeah, best part was- is when she called father, father dicks. No, she didn't. Father Mayara did. Oh, that's right. Father Mayara. Uh, <laughs> he thought, well, you got to remember it's, it's Stevie and, Nicks. It sounds it, like, like Stevie Nicks. So, it, so we, we went and saw father Mayara while we were there and father Dave Nicks went to confession with father Mayara while we were there. So, and he came and goes, your, your, your father, Dick, no, 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 Nicks, Nicks. Okay. Nicks. <laughs> and, uh, we got to see him for a little bit. So for those, uh, I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen Holy Innocence, I took a couple of pictures, so it's a beautiful it's, church. It's That's funny because. It's all right. I like. I personally like the you know the, the parking garage theme in the new churches myself. <laughs> <laughs> but from the outside, it's inconspicuous, right, Rob? Like from the you outside, know, you you think nothing. You know, when it was built in 1925, it was it, probably the tallest building on that block, and there and was nothing next to it. Now it looks like it's the skinny little church that was built wait, wait, wait. between two skyscrapers. Oh, okay. No, we're good. I saw that blue advertisement next to it, and I just saw B. And I got nervous. I was like, is this Bud Light advertising? <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. He's right, though. When that church was built, it was the tallest building. There were no buildings next to it. Now it's sandwiched between two buildings. It's an old church. You really wouldn't even notice it from the outside. And then you when, go when, inside. When we pulled up on that block and you pull over to park, I'm like, what, are we walking a block down? And you're like, no, it's literally like right there. Yeah, just look up. <laughs> So it's it's my favorite church. I just it has uh, confession three times a day. It has the daily mass, daily Latin mass every day. Um, not enough wood paneling and shag carpet. 